I come to the name of the risen Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. His followers are aghast. Surely all that is left for them is certain death. Their enemies have, for all intents and purposes, prevailed. The movement of God's people is defeated, ended before it had even a chance to take root. All they can do is huddle together and await the end, when the soldiers will come barging in with weapons drawn to snuff out the last embers of their dimming hope. Even though they had witnessed unparalleled miracles, Even though God had revealed himself to them in a rich and intimate way through his chosen servant, even though witness was born in the halls of the most powerful empire at that point in history, it all seems to have come to naught. The promised deliverance had not come, at least not yet. But now they were to pay the price for putting their hope in a failed revolution. And it is at this point, when hope glimmers low, that God, the God, does something unthinkable, something that will change everything. You'll be forgiven for assuming that I am speaking of the disciples here, but I am not. I am speaking of Moses and the Israelites standing on the banks of the Red Sea. Now, at the same time, I present this account as intentionally vague so that we might be tricked into thinking about the disciples because truly these two stories are deeply connected. The Hebrew people on that day were ready for the end to come. They looked at Moses and saw failure, a well-meaning attempt at liberation perhaps, but a failure all the same. As we might say in the South, bless his heart, at least he tried. The cynicism runs high in the account. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die, they cry? Now we have the benefit of historical distance to see how the story ended, but let's put ourselves in the moment. Imagine that for 400 years we've been enslaved. Imagine that for at least the past several decades we've been abused and beaten our children murdered, the victims of ethnic cleansing. We long for deliverance. The thing is, is that we know that we're not a captured people. We were not taken from our home. Centuries before, our ancestor Jacob had been invited to bring his family to Egypt in order to find refuge from famine. This means that we are a people in exile, a people away from our home, just waiting for the opportunity to return. We hear the stories of our forebears telling of a land that flows with milk and honey, a land promised to our great forefather Abraham. That was our home, our land. If only the Egyptians would let us go, we could traverse to that glorious place to end our exile in a foreign land. Perhaps it would be a bit like the plot of Mad Max Fury Road, where the distant possibility of the fabled Greenland awaits those brave enough to flee the oppression of post-apocalyptic tyrants like a Morton Joe and cross the desert wilderness. 
but our spirits are broken and we've been conditioned through violence to stay put. And then one of our own people arrives from afar and storms the king's palace. He comes in the name of our God, demanding that we be let go, preaching that the only true God has chosen our people and wants them to return to the land that is rightfully theirs, to return so that they can truly worship this God and not be distracted by the many lesser gods of Egypt. Naturally, Pharaoh declines the offer. And so our God gets to work, performing miracle after miracle at the hand of our would-be liberator, until the sin-hardened heart of Pharaoh obstinately refuses release, resulting in an evening of death and finally, blessedly, the order to leave. All of this is in our minds as we now stand on the shores of a sea and bear witness to the cloud of chariot riders bearing down. Our choices are either death by sword or death by water. We'd wonder how it could come to this. How was it that our God would work wonder after wonder, demonstrate his passion for our people, only to abandon us in the final hour? Why have the angel of death pass us over, only to greet us on this sandy shore? There is a reason that Easter and Passover overlap. A reason that Jesus chose this time of all other times to show his hand and perform this work. A reason that Jesus chose the scourge, the thorny crown, the wood, the nails at this particular religious observance. The story of the Bible is characterized by exile and liberation. In Jesus' day, the Jews are dispersed all over Asia and Europe their home occupied, thereby rendering it someone else's home. This was presaged by the exile brought about by the Babylonians, where the Jews were removed from their land and brought to a foreign realm. During the Babylonian exile, the Jews heard from numerous prophets and found comfort in their memory of what had happened in Egypt. God's people had been freed from Egypt, and so they would find freedom again. But all of this was underscored by the very first exile of God's people, the ejection from the Garden of Eden. Eden sets the stage for the overarching narrative of the Bible. In this story, we have it all. God choosing God's people, giving them a law, God's people breaking that law and making a false god, and the consequent exile resulting from that disobedience, that idolatry. Eden is foundational as well as subsuming. The Egyptian exodus, the back-and-forth stories of the judges, the rise of Babylon, the Roman occupation, all of these instances are evocative of Eden. This is to say that we, as a human species, are a people in exile. Like the Jews of Jesus' day who lived in Roman-occupied Palestine, we live in the place God gave to us, but this place is occupied by an outside power, covered in the symbols and temples of foreign gods. The closest pop culture parallel that I can think of is found in the 1986 Disney film Flight of the Navigator where a time-displaced young boy arrives at his family home only to discover to his confusion and horror that there are other people now living there. Strangers have invaded your space, rendering it both familiar and alien all at once. 
This is something of which we are intuitively aware. Just looking at the news of the past few weeks, if not months, gives us pause, causes us to feel as though something is not right, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we feel that way because the feeling is true. This indeed is not the way it is supposed to be. Our world is occupied by the power of death, accompanied by its close associate, sin. And these two things only exist, only have dominion, because we are a people prone to worship wrongly. Like Eve and Adam, we prefer the affirming voice of the serpent rather than the wise caution of God. We long for the shortcut of God-like knowledge rather than maintaining faith in the one who gave us life and filled us with love. And in our preference for the serpent, we revealed a dark truth about all of humanity. The God we prefer is ourself. And so our self-worship isolates us from each other and twists us into beings far removed from what God created us to be. What we often see is not humanity because humanity can only be seen through the light of God. What we often see is at best an effigy of humanity. We have invited death into our world and death has put us in exile. Exile from God's vision for this world, exile from God himself, and exile from each other. And again, this is not how it's supposed to be. The Passover feast is an annual reminder to the Jewish people that God has demonstrated a profound passion for them. It also stands as a reminder to all of us that sin leads to death. The Seder meal commemorates the tragic result of Pharaoh's hardened heart, a consequence easily avoided if only he just agreed to let God's people go. At the same time, The Passover Seder commemorates the shed blood of a lamb that served as a marker of preservation. The angel of death avoided the houses marked with this blood. And it is no coincidence that Jesus, observing this very meal, holds aloft a cup of wine and equates it with his blood. The Holy Eucharist is a new Passover meal. It actively remembers Jesus' crucifixion, itself a new Passover event where shed blood and the death of a firstborn son lead to the liberation of God's people. The cross, like the first Passover, is both tragedy and triumph. But for those first disciples huddled in that upper room, it was felt in those harrowing days as the tragedy of all tragedies. Like their forebears on the banks of the Red Sea, all hope seemed lost. The only thing they could expect was an imminent death from Roman soldiers. Both groups of Jewish people, past and then present, were facing down the armies of the greatest empire of their respective times. For the Jews fleeing Egypt, their despair turned to hope when Moses took a risk and stood before those daunting waters. When he stretched out his arms and the whole of the Hebrew nation watched as the abyss rolled back and paved a clear path to their freedom. For the Jews hiding in that upper room, their despair turned to hope after Mary Magdalene took a risk to visit the tomb. After she rushed back to the house and exclaimed, He is risen! He is risen! Easter Day marks the exodus for the human race. 
It is on this day that the power of death was rendered null. It is on this day that the consequences of sin were negated, where forgiveness, not condemnation, was proclaimed. Like the mighty waters, the stone of the tomb was rolled away and a clear path of life shone through. Jesus Christ has liberated us. Jesus has ended our exile. We no longer need to live as occupied people. The false gods of this world have been exposed as shams. We are now free to see and inhabit the world as God intended it to be. Death is still around, but death has no lasting effect. Just as Christ was risen, so shall we be risen. And because of this fact, death no longer holds dominion. As God demonstrated his ultimate power at the Red Sea, demonstrating his worthiness, how much more has he demonstrated his worthiness in undoing the power of death? How much more has he proven that he alone is worthy of our worship and that any and all other gods, especially the God of self, are pitiful and empty gods? Jesus Christ is risen, and because he is risen, we are free. We can tread across the path God made clear for us, assured that our exile from each other, from this good earth, and from God himself, our exile has ended. Alleluia, alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.